Well, hey, church, I am excited to talk to you today about the story of Jesus, uh, his message of grace and hope and freedom. It's a message that has impacted my life and, and the life of the members here at Jubilee Church. It's what we are anchored to. It's what we're built upon. It's what we're trusting in. It's Jesus, nothing more, nothing less. The message of Jesus, also known as the gospel, is, is clear, and that is that God became flesh. He became a, a man, and he walked this earth with every temptation that you and I face, yet he did it without sin. And then he went to the cross to pay for sin, not his sin, but our sin. And he rose to new life that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life, would have eternal life relationship with the creator of the universe. And it is our desire to be with him, to be like him, to love like him, to live like him. And so this morning, I want to rehearse with you the wonderful news of Jesus Christ, who died on our behalf, who made the way forward for us to give us hope. And this is so relevant in these challenging, but I believe transformative times this Jesus who became our wrong, who became our heir, who became our sin so that we could be forgiven forever. And for those who don't know me, my name is uh, Brian Mowry, and uh, I'm one of the leaders here. And I say that because, I mean, I guess technically I am the lead pastor, but I want you to know that there is a, uh, a group of elders who have their hands on this steering wheel. And beyond that, there are many great men and women who are leading um, with us into this future, leading fiercely so that you and I could be all that God has called us to be. But let me just say on the, out, on the outset that, that God is doing something uh, in our midst. He's doing a great work in our midst. And I want to start a series today. To be honest with you, I don't know what the title is, and I don't even know how long it's going to last, but it, because I believe God's putting some things on my heart um, as we witness 2020, as we witness the events of 2020, we, we can clearly see that our world is being shaken. But I, I, I want you to know that I think God's hand is in this. I see God's hand in this. I see God shaking things. In fact, I remember at the very beginning of this pandemic, the very beginning of March, two elders came to me in separate occasions, confided in me a prophetic sense that they had for us which just means that they felt like God had something, told them something uh, for us, for our community. And, it, and both of them pointed to Hebrews 12. And in Hebrews 12, it says that Jesus is going to shake the world. Jesus is going to shake the world so that what can be shaken will be shaken so that what cannot be shaken would remain. And I believe that God is doing that shaking, that shakening work in our presence right now to remove from us an unholy attachment to things that are temporal so that we can have a tighter grip on what is eternal. I don't believe that what's happening is the work of the devil ultimately. That would be giving him too much credit. And even if the devil was at work, which I know that he is, I know that God works all things for good for those who love him. So even something that the devil would mean for bad, I know that God is doing something good in us. And know this about the devil. The devil um, is not interested in manipulating events, okay? He's interested in manipulating your response to events. So he's not so much interested in taking your health and taking your job. He's interested in taking your joy. He's not so much interested in taking away your justice. He is after your peace. 
He is after your response to these events. He is after whatever would take your eyes off the goodness of God. That's what the devil is after. God is after your joy. He's after your peace. And I just see some things, I mean, quite honestly, and this is why I'm saying I don't quite have a title for this. I do believe God's given me something to say. I, don't, I, I say that this series will probably be two to four weeks. But I'm seeing some things, not in everyone, but I'm seeing some things in our community, but maybe it's more broadly in the, when, with Christians in general. I'm seeing a lot of fear, a lot of shame, a lot of confusion, and a lot of timidity. And I want to address all that in the next few weeks because God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity. He has given us a spirit of love and of power and of sound mind and self-control. So I, and I just, you know, I was reading this week about the Apostle Paul. And this is my heart for you. This is my heart for Jubilee Church. I saw this in 2 Corinthians 11, 2, 4, where he says this. He says, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betroth you to one husband, that is Jesus Christ, that, we, that our work as pastors is to present the church to God. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And that's what I want to talk about over the next few weeks. I want to bring us into a pure devotion to Christ. And I want to address the reality that we're all in. So I'm going to pray for us and then we'll get going. Heavenly Father, you are so gracious. You are so wonderful. We love you. We thank you for your grace and your patience and your care and concern for each one of us. And I just want to pray a blessing over my brothers and sisters. I want to pray, pray a blessing over Jubilee Church for the hundreds of people across St. Louis and, and in Franklin County and the counties surrounding the Lake of the Ozarks. I just want to pray as we gather to worship you, as we gather to make much of you. I pray that more and more we would be shaped in the image of your son and that we'd be get caught up in your wonder, your majesty, and your beauty. And I pray that as a church, we would lead out in declaring and demonstrating the work that you have done on the cross, dismantling the hostility and the prejudice and the bias and the bigotry. I pray that you would do that in this house and that we would be a city on the hill, a city on a hill that shines bright forth your justice, your love, your joy, and your peace peace. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Like I said, this, I'm going to get going. I don't know how far we'll get, but we'll, we'll, um, we'll be here in this story that was read for us out of John 4 for a couple of weeks, pulling some of these things out, addressing anything that would pull us away from a pure devotion Christ. At the center of this passage is an interaction between Jesus and the Samaritan woman that he desperately loves, but make no mistake about it, this is not a convenient passage. This is a challenging passage uh, to understand the, the ancient setting for which this passage is. Jesus is raging against cultural norms, the chief of which is talking to this Samaritan. Uh, Jesus and the Jews uh, were his 12 disciples. They were all Jewish and Jews were raised to understand their history and their culture. They were very proud of that, uh, the history of their nations following certain customs, but they had also be raised to 
uh, to have a particular perspective against this group called the Samaritans. And the group, the Samaritans, they, they came because they, they were, Assyria uh, came and they attacked uh, the Jews and they, they took them captive. This would be in 720 BC and half of the Jews uh, stayed separate culturally and then the other half where they intermarried with the Assyrians forming this group called the Samaritans. And because of this, the Jews developed quite a disdain for the Samaritan people. And to put it quite crudely, they called them half-breeds. And so as a Jew, you were not meant to go to school with Samaritans. As a Jew, you were not meant to go and do business with a Samaritan. As a Jew, you were not meant to be social, to share a meal, or in Jesus's case, share a cup with a Samaritan. To say that racism was a considerable part of the context for which Jesus would minister in would be an understatement. The context for the life and ministry of Jesus was supercharged with racism, with oppression, with bigotry and bias, all of which would have been instilled and taught amongst ancient Jewish culture. This, of course, is very relevant for where we find ourselves in the United States of America as we face head on America's original sin, which is no doubt racism. At a personal level, at a uh, systemic level, which is, should not be a surprise to the Christian, we are taught very clearly uh, in the Bible that we have three enemies of spiritual life, the world, the flesh, the devil. So, the, so any sin... You know, it, it, it comes from our flesh that we sin by, uh, by nature. We sin, we commit acts of sin. We also have a nature of sin. You know, the Bible says that we were not uh, just in the doghouse with God. We were dead in our sin, so we were in the morgue. So sin is not, you know, it's not just a bad, it's, it's deep. And so sin is personal, and we are personally responsible for that. So it's in our flesh. And because human beings of the flesh create the world systems, that the world systems are against us. There's sin in the world systems. And of course, the devil. And the devil's role is to twist, to accuse, to distort, to distract us from the destructive powers of sin. So as orthodox Bible-believing Christians, we are not those who would look at society our argument isn't sin isn't bad as you think. Our argument is sin is far worse than you think. We were dead in our sins. We were not just in the doghouse with God. We were in the morgue. So is racism bad in America? It's probably worse than you think. So let's not argue. Let's not get into you know, how bad is the bad news. It's bad. It's bad, it's bad, it's bad, because we need to be busy talking about the good news. We must proclaim in word and deed the light of the gospel. We must see the dark places of the world and we must run swiftly to it with the hope of the good news. That is why we must embrace this reality, both contextually and culturally, that Jesus is inciting at this well. And then we're, as we're gonna look at over the next couple of weeks, the first thing that sticks out to me about this passage that I I want us to see is in John 4, 4, where it says that he had to pass through Samaria. Now, I find that fascinating. I don't know if you do. Why did Jesus have to pass through Samaria? Well, let me just be clear. Technically, he didn't have to, okay? There were two roads. There was a road because they were trying to go from Judea to Galilee, 
And there is a road that goes right through Samaria from Judea to Galilee, but there's also a road that goes around Samaria. The, the one that went right through it was a Samaritan road. The one that went around it was, if you can call it this, the Jewish road. So why did Jesus have to take the road that went right through it when in reality all Jewish people went around it? Let me say this about Christianity, because Christianity gets referred to as a faith system, as a religion. Uh, you know, this is what it is. This is what it's on. It's, it's to do this. It's to do that. But quite literally, what it means to be a Christian, it means to follow Jesus, right? We don't follow principles. We follow a person. Following principles is predictable. Following the person of Jesus is not predictable, if you track with the Gospels, Jesus never posted his daily agenda. He never said, this is what I'm doing this week and this month. I mean, he talked about going to the cross. He talked about going to Calvary, and they missed that one. But what the reason why the 12 disciples, they followed him. They didn't know where he was going. He just said, come, follow me. And they went where he went. They stayed really close to him and they went wherever he went. Therefore, we exist as followers of Christ. What we want to do is we want to get around him, especially in turbulent times. You know, in Joshua 3, the people of God were told to stay close to the ark. The ark represented the presence of God. It was the presence of God. And, and the word to the people of God is that you need to stay close, not to principles, but to his presence because they had never been that way before. And brothers and sisters, we are in uncharted territory. We have never been in this situation before, and we need to stay close, not to principles, but to the person of Jesus. We don't follow principles. We follow a person. Let me say it this way. We are not trying to be people of integrity. We are trying to follow Jesus. We are not trying to be people of the truth. We're trying to follow Jesus, who is the truth. We are not trying to be loving people. We are trying to follow Jesus, who is love. And I get very nervous when people say, we must be like this, and we must be like that. It's subtle in the beginning, but it is a dangerous proposition to follow an effect and not follow the cause, the cause being the person of Jesus he is the resurrection and of the life. He is the truth. He is love. He is justice. He is my righteousness. He is the great I am. He is my healing. He is my hope. He is my peace. He is my joy. He is my all in all. We do not follow principles. We follow a person. Whatever I can gain outside of Christ, I now count as rubbish. What good is it if you inherit the entire world, but you lose your soul because you don't? See, Jesus, or I'll say it in our terms, 2020 terms, what good is it if the world is exactly the way you think it should be, but you lose your soul? So we follow a person. And this is so relevant because the scriptures say here, there is a territory that Jesus had to go. So the obvious application for you and I is if this is where Jesus has to go, this is where you and I have to go. We have to go to a territory that we would rather not go. We have to go to a territory that our principles and our traditions and our ideologies say we should go another way. But we can't go around it again. We must follow Jesus into this territory as he is going to most certainly shake what can be shaken so that what would remain would be that which cannot be shaken. James 1, 
2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And then check this out. It says, let it. Let it have its full effect. Don't rush through it. We're not wanting to get through this season. We're wanting to break through this season. Don't rush through it. Don't go around it. We have to follow Jesus right through it. And I know it's unfamiliar, and I know your ideologies, and I know your experience might be telling you, do not go there. But can I just invite you, and give me a few weeks to get through all this, but can I invite you that we must go where Jesus is calling us to go? And like I said, I hope to make that more clear in the weeks ahead why he went where he went. Well, the center of this passage, and the main point, I'm going to end with this, um, is there is this divine counter at a very famous well just out Samaria at, at noontime, which, by the way, nobody went at noontime. So this, this woman was not just, I mean, she had a, a past, which we'll get into in the weeks to come, uh, but she just didn't want to be around Jews. She didn't want to be around other Samaritans and particularly other Samaritan women's because she, women because she was embarrassed. She had shame in her life. And so she, she, approaches, she's, she approaches this well, and in the distance, she sees this man there, and she's very confused by this. More than that, as she gets a little closer, I don't know if it's because he, she heard her voice, his voice, or just saw him the way he appeared, the clothes that he had, but there was something about him that was Jewish. And so he, she's thinking to herself, why in the world would this Jewish man be here? And as she goes through the catalog of the reasons why that might be, None of them are good. And so Jesus takes it up a notch when he says, can I have a drink of water? Which is another way of saying, I want to relate. I want to be social. I want to sit down with you. I want to I I go there. I want to cross this barrier. I want to do the thing that no one in my culture will do. I want to do that with you. Now, again, she's thinking, what in the world is this guy wanting to do with me and so she asked the question, do you know who I do? You, are you confused who I am? And are you confused who you are? Are you a Jewish man asking to share a drink with me, a Samaritan woman? Then Jesus uh, says, you know, if you knew who I was, if you knew who I was and the gift that I wanted to give you, you would ask me for water and I would give you living Water, And he goes on to explain that he has for her living water. Jesus says, if you drink from Jacob's well, you're going to be thirsty again and again and again. But if you drink uh, of the water that I provide, you'll be satisfied. You'll be fulfilled. It'll be like a, a fountain bubbling up from the inside of you. And this woman says, I want this water. Give me this water. And I just, before we go on, I just wonder if there's anyone here watching who's tired of going to a man-made well over and over and over again, only to come up thirsty over and over and over again. Is there anyone listening who's tired of going through the cycle of the same thing over and over again? Tired of putting a Band-Aid solution on something only to find out that the solution was temporary. He gave us relief, but it didn't fix the problem. Jacob's well pacifies us, but it doesn't 
satisfy us. Oh, we need Jacob's well. We need water. We are made of water. We are 70% water. And what is, we, we need what we're made of. We need water. We, if we go three days without water, we don't exist anymore. We need water. But it's something that if we receive, we're going to just need it again and again and again. It pacifies, but it doesn't truly satisfy. How many of us are drinking from wells that pacify, but they don't satisfy? Jesus here is presenting this woman with two wells. He says, if you drink from Jacob's well, that you're going to be thirsty again and again and again. And I want to be clear that Jesus never condemns Jacob's well. He simply makes the observation, if you trust in a natural well, if you put your trust in a man-made well, it's going to be temporary at best, and you'll be thirsty again and again and again, which is to say that natural wells are built by natural people. By definition, they cannot truly satisfy the aching of the soul, particularly the, particularly the aching of the soul that comes from generations of prejudice and bias and racism. Have we not tried Jacob's well. Have we not tried man-made solutions? So even so, I want to commend the men and women in our country right now seeking to build new wells or open up new wells, new systems, new policies, reform things that we desperately need, and we should commend that. Breaking old policies to, to bring out new ones. Our country needs change. It needs reform. It always will need change. It will always need reform. But let me be clear. Your calling and my calling, our calling as a church is not to shine light on the need for natural wells. Our appointment is to remind each other of the one supernatural well, the one that produces living water, the one that produces a bubbling up from the inside, the the one that says and out of Romans 14, is, is, it says it is, it is not a, a natural kingdom. It's not about what you do and what you don't do. It's not about what you know and what you know, no, don't know. It is a spiritual kingdom, and we need this spiritual kingdom. We need Jacob's well. We do need change in policies. We do need literal water. We need reform. We need change. We need shifting, but we need to see the priority of the Savior. The priority of the Savior in this situation is to reveal himself. He's revealing to this woman who was oppressed, who was marginalized, who was a victim of a greater need than a man-made solution, and it was him. It was his living water that he provides. Let us not forget in our efforts, (laughs) in our efforts to see this, this country that's called the American experiment, this temporary country Let me tell you what's not temporary, the kingdom of God. Let me tell you what is not an experiment, Jesus Christ, the living God, the Savior of heaven, of all humanity. He is not temporal. He is not passing away. He is forever. Paul says to the Corinthians, so that you and I don't lose heart, and we are at risk of losing heart. We are at risk of losing heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. What is he talking about? He's talking about that living water that God has put on the inside of every believer. He says, as we look to the things, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen 
are eternal. I want to give you water that isn't going to pacify you, but it's going to satisfy you. If you drink from Jacob's well only, you're going to be thirsty again and again and again, and you're going to end up disappointed. You're going to, you're going to end up fearful. You're going to end up angry. You're going to end up bitter. But if you drink from the living water, Romans 14 says it's righteousness, peace, and joy bubbling up from the inside. Well, how do we receive this? Well, it says it is a gift. He said that if you knew who I was and the gift that I wanted to give you, you would ask me for it, and I would give it to you. The, the, the righteousness of God, the joy of God, the peace of God is that it is a gift. It is a gift, and it, it is meant to bubble up from the inside. It's meant to bubble up from the inside. And oh, how we need this water now because the road ahead of us is long. The road ahead of us is difficult. It is not convenient. It is, we're going to have to go right through something. We're going to be shaken and we will not give up and we will not give in and we will persevere with endurance, but we will not do that in our flesh. We will not do that because we, we were so informed. We will do that in a reliance on Jesus. Jesus is greater than Jacob. Jacob will not save America. Jesus will. We honor Jacob. We, we appreciate man-made solutions. We know that they are needed and they are necessary. But oh, that we would lift up our highs whence our help comes. Where does our help come from? It comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He's the one. He is the only supernatural solution. He is the only supernatural well for human history and certainly this country. The times are challenging and we will not, according to James 1, wish it away. We will not simply get through, but we want to break through and our resolve will not be of the flesh. It will be of the spirit of God, this living water inside of us. You know, the Bible says that the same spirit that reached into a rich man's grave and pulled Jesus out of that tomb, that same spirit is living inside of you and it's bubbling up. And this is what we are to look for. This is how we know that bubbling up is happening. This is how you know that you have the spirit of God in you. You are declaring that Jesus is Lord. You cannot declare that in Unless you are born again by the Spirit. First John 4 says this, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So that we have come to know and to believe that love, the love that God has for us, that God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And check this out. He says there is no fear in love. Are you afraid right now? Are you unsure? Are you confused? Are you worried? how things are going to turn out. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. Fear has to do with shame. Fear has to do with guilt. For whoever fears has not been perfected in love. But check this out, verse 19. For we love, for he first loved us. Do you know how we're going to beat racism? You know how we're going to love our neighbor regardless of race and color? We will be our brother's keeper. We will bear his burden. We will walk in his shoes. You know how we're going to do that? We will do that to the degree that we are perfected in his love. We love, we are able to love, we are able to move out in strength because we are perfected in his love. That's what the spirit is doing. That's why we need this living water reminding us that you are loved, reminding us that we are forgiven, reminding us that we are his righteousness. And I wanna say something right to the camera so I say it right to your heart. 
We will not lose our joy. We will not lose our peace. We will not lose our righteousness, not because of our deeds, not because of what we know, not because of our efforts, not because of our wisdom, but because of the free gift of Jesus who offers anyone that would want to drink from a supernatural well, an eternal well, that if you drink from, it will cure the ache in your soul. Drink deeply of this living water. Drink deeper of this living water. Let God remind you that you're his. Let God remind you that you are loved. This is our portion. This is what will define us as a church. This is what we are committed to. This is what's going to enable us to go to man-made wells and call it what it is, and this is wrong, and this is what God says, and to shine the light. We won't be afraid of that. We will not go around this solution. We are going to go right through it. We are going to go right through it, just as Jesus is leading us to do this. But may our testimony be, years from now, how did you endure? How did you get through? How did you contend for one new man in Christ? One humanity in Christ. We will not say, well, we were informed and we had this and we had that. We will talk about the living water. The love of God perfected in us. He loved us so that we could love others. We're not going to give in to fear. We're not going to give in to anxiety. We're not going to depend on ourselves we are going to depend. We, all, we will get to work. We will be busy. We will look inside of ourselves. We will make change. We will make changes individually. We'll make changes as a community. I'm convinced of that. How could you follow Jesus and not change? The answer is you don't. He is moving us closer and closer to him. And we invite that. We invite the work of Jesus. We invite the shaking of Jesus in our life so that what can be shaken will be shaken, so that what cannot be shaken will remain and will hold tight to that. I've got more to say in the coming weeks about what God is doing with us, through us, in this season. And I don't have the title yet for this series, like I said, but I think I have the title for today. The title for today is living water. And that's what I want us to do right now. I want us to receive this living water. There may be people here like, Brian, I've never received that ever. I, I don't really know what you're talking about. How do I receive this gift? Well, it's just that it is a gift. John 3.16 says, for whoever, for God so loved the wor world that he gave his only son, whoever would believe in him, trust in him, receive this gift. It's not your efforts. It's not your deeds. It's not what you know. It's not what you don't know. It is a gift. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And it is scandalous, but it is true. If you want to receive this gift, wherever you are, will you just, one, will you just raise your hand right now? If you're by yourself, if you're in a crowd, just raise your hand. Say, this is, I want this gift. This woman says, I want this water. Give me this water. That's what you say. I want this water, Jesus. Give me this water. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for everyone right now who has decided to take this cup from you and drink deeply of you. And I just want to say, God, will you come upon this community right now? 
May we be those that on a daily basis, we feel and drink deeply and we experience the bubbling up of your spirit inside of us, reminding us that we are righteous, reminding us that we're forgiven, reminding us of your power. We don't know what's around the corner, but you do. We trust you and we follow you and we pray. Will you do your perfecting work in us? Will you perfect us in your love so that we can love others? You want to use us, God. You want to use us to proclaim the gospel in word and in deed, to be a city on a hill, to be those who do not run from the darkness, who do not run around situations, but run right in the middle of it, because that's what you did. You did not stay in heaven, but you came close. You made yourself vulnerable to us. And now you send us like sheep among wolves. And God, we just pray that we would not run in fear, that we would not run in confusion, that we would not run in lack of hope, despair, or frustration, but we would drink deeply from you, the living water. Amen.